0: Yield and obey, there is no other way to be happy in Jesus, is a song. I'm changing the word from trust. Trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Some of us are fairly miserable in our Christianity, and it comes from the space of us being at the wheel, as Joe spoke about last week. We like being at the wheel of our own lives. We, we tend to gravitate towards uh, taking the wheel, even when we don't realize it. If you're not thinking about it, you probably have... Ge- have taken control of the wheel. You have to be consciously thinking about and submitting to God for Him to stay at the wheel. And miserable Christianity has sadly become the norm for many believers. Um, but as we saw in Romans, chapter 14, verse 17, should come up on the screen. I don't have a base text this morning. We're going to look at a whole bunch of texts. This one's from Joe from last week. Um, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The normal Christian experience for the yielded heart is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you want to know who is at the wheel, then take a look at the state of your heart. The Christian who is fully submitted to God is in peace and in joy in the Holy Spirit. I also want to remind you of his role in our lives. Matt helped us here. He's called the Paracletos, the one who comes alongside to help us. And uh, he's not at the forefront. This was so good for me because I have a desire for more of the Spirit in my life. I have a desire for more of the Spirit in our church. And churches sometimes make a mistake, and I can make this mistake, of uh, overly focusing on the Spirit and moving Him to the forefront, making Him the be-all and the end-all, and these are good desires, but actually when, he, um, when that happens to Him, He goes away. And this is a mistake many churches make. His role is to come alongside us to help us live for Christ. Christ. He wants to make much of Christ. We're going to read lots of scriptures today, and that's going to become clear as we read them. He wants Christ to be glorified. So at this church, the gospel must be preached. In every service, sung in every song, in all of our meetings and our conversations, the thing that is at the forefront is Christ. There was a quote that um, I'm going to use again in case you missed it that came from Greg's sermon. And he quoted Spurgeon. And Spurgeon said this, I looked at Christ and the dove of peace flew into my heart. So you make much of Christ and the Holy Spirit comes. I looked at Christ and the dove of peace flew into my heart. I looked at the dove and it flew away. And as we are learning more about the Holy Spirit, may we not make this mistake of making Him the be-all and the end-all, or the forefront of everything. Christ is at the forefront. He is the one the Holy Spirit wants to glorify. And as we talk about missions, this is going to start tying in nicely in a second. We looked at His work in salvation. He is the one who awakens our hearts to Christ. The moment you first believed, the Holy Spirit was the one who awakened you to understand that Jesus is who He says He is, and He is real and true and what He has done, He has done for you. It's the Holy Spirit that helps you to understand that. We cannot say Jesus Christ is Lord without the help of the Spirit. Greg preached on this. And the same day Greg preached on this, I wasn't in the room. I was with our children in um, Sunday school. And we were working through a similar text, but not on purpose. So we hadn't tied up the children's ministry to be the same as what was happening over here. But this is the text that we were dealing with. It said, John 16, verse 12 to 15, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. That's the goal. That's his goal. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I asked them as we read that. I said, okay, so if the preacher preaches and says Jesus Christ is Lord, and person A goes, yes, that's true, I believe that, And person B goes, No, I'm not so sure. What is this verse helping us see? Who's helping person A? And of course, good uh, Sunday school children all said, It's the Holy Spirit. And they're right. It's right. And then we carried on talking about walking by the Spirit, which was what Joey preached on last week. We, we got the whole um, uh, of our series in one lesson at Sunday school, and, and we spoke about walking in the Spirit. We spoke about forgiving people, the Holy Spirit prompting you, and, and, and you need to forgive that person. And now you have a choice. You can choose. Are you going to go and obey? That's walking with the Spirit to actually obey and, and do the thing the Spirit's asking you to do, or are you going to disobey and and not do what the Spirit's asking you to do. I learn a lot more sometimes at Sunday school than um, at, at church. Just simply, it's just broke. It's so simple. I really want to encourage you, go serve at Sunday school. Uh, the, the God will, will challenge you. He'll speak to you. At the end of the meeting, we prayed. And while we were praying, I felt the Spirit say, ask them one more question. And so, at the end of the prayer meeting, I said, look, we're going to put this into practice now because we're talking about walking with the Spirit. We're talking about listening to the Spirit. And sometimes He'll prompt you. And He's just prompted me. And the question that I'm going to ask you is this. What, the Spirit will help you forgive people. He'll help you to help people in some way. There's all these different prompts He might say to you. But what is the very first thing that the Spirit will say to any person? the first thing they will ever hear from the Holy Spirit. And one of the children put their hand up and said, give your life to Christ. And he's right. Give your life to Christ is the first thing that the Spirit would say. And so I said to them, we've been learning about the Holy Spirit talking. Maybe even this morning while we've been learning about this, some of you have heard the Holy Spirit say, give your life to Christ. Is there anyone here who wants to do that? I don't usually do these kinds of um, uh, altar calls. But I was trying to be obedient to what I felt the Spirit was saying. And three children gave their lives to Christ that morning because they felt the Spirit say to them, give your life to Christ. Praise God. That's what He does. He comes, He speaks, and He glorifies Christ. And the very first thing He'll do, He's done it for many of you, and for some of you, my prayer this morning, even as we talk about missions, that might be the first thing He says to you today. Give your life to Christ. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, the first thing the Spirit will say to you is to do that. So there's so much I could touch on, but I'm going to lose all my sermon time doing that. We, we spoke about uh, His work at salvation, continuing in sanctification throughout our lives. And along the way, there's going to be special infillings. But we can't control them. So we pray for them. We ask for them. It's good to have your heart hungry and open and wanting them. But it is up to God when He gives them. It's according to His sovereign answer. And so it's actually quite freeing to just pray and wait because it's up to God. You can't make that happen. But the second thing that happens, which we can have some influence over, is a daily filling because we can ask for that. And actually, there should be an expectation in your heart that the Holy Spirit will answer that prayer as you surrender yourself daily, as you yield daily to Him, as you ask for Him to daily fill you, that He will come and do that because that's how He helps us live our lives for Christ. We must be continuously filled with the Spirit or else we achieve little. We will be drained, fruitless. Some of you know, I know, we know what it feels like to minister in our own strength. But the yielded and obedient heart will be daily filled and empowered by the Spirit for acts of service and missional activity. This person, God in us, faithful at salvation, faithful in sanctification, giving us special infillings in key moments, daily fillings in all moments, helping us move the mission of Christ forward because He wants Christ to be glorified. This all sets a wonderful platform for His work in mission. And as I transition into how He works in mission, I'm going to steal from a famous preacher John Piper was asked to be the keynote speaker at a missions conference, and um, the whole point to a missions conference is to motivate people to go on missions. Now, I've been on the mission field uh, a couple of times, and I can tell you having been there, there's not a lot of people out there doing missionary work. Very few. You can live in a country of millions of unsaved people and have one worker We can be in church this morning, hundreds of us worshiping together. This becomes our norm. We're used to that. It's not normal out there. Missions needs more people. We've got one missionary from our church. Missions needs more people. And so we have missions conferences, and you get in this key speaker, keynote speaker, and you want him to fire up the congregation, the audience for missions. And John Piper says this. His opening quote should come up on the screen for you. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. And I could almost see the organizers of the conference drop their heads in disappointment. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And what John was saying is that we are going to worship God for all eternity. Worship never ceases. Okay? We are only doing missions until Christ returns. There's no point to any more mission work when Christ returns. When Christ comes back, the work is done, the party has started, and we worship Him for all eternity. Worship is the goal of the church. And... The goal of the Spirit is to glorify Christ. So the way worship and missions works together is as long as there are people out there, and there are many, who do not yet worship Christ, the Spirit will come and motivate for missions so that Christ's name can be made great in a place where it is not yet known or made great. Even in your heart, it's already happened. There was a time when you didn't believe. There was a time when you didn't worship. And someone came, someone spoke to you faithfully, moved by the Spirit, motivated for mission, shared their faith with you, and you've, your heart's turned into a heart of worship and a heart of surrender. That's what we're going to see as we open the text and look at the way the Spirit works. I knew that was going to happen. Don't worry. Don't need it. It's probably distracting, huh? Hey? Okay, the Spirit will always be on mission to move the church towards the mission of making Jesus great in the hearts of those who do not yet worship Him. And we're going to look at three parts. We're going to look at the Spirit at work in mission in Jesus's life. We're going to look at the Spirit at work in mission in the early church's life. And then we're going to look at the Spirit at work in mission at SBC in our lives. The first part is um, Jesus. Jesus was a missionary, he left home, he learned a language, he learned a new culture, he preached the gospel to the lost, and they got saved. He's a missionary. It's fascinating that God himself does not start his missionary work until he had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes upon him like a dove, Luke three twenty two, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice said from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And we know very little of Jesus' life before this moment. We know how He was born. We know His vocation as a carpenter. But the gospel writers have recorded next to nothing about the first 30 years of His life. But from the moment the dove comes upon Him in Luke three twenty-two. The Gospels give detailed accounts of His ministry and His works. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Luke 4, 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit's with Him. The Spirit's using him as he ministers, and he ends up being glorified by all. Luke goes almost painstakingly to show us at every turn in Luke chapter 4 that these things are happening by the Spirit. He goes in the fullness of the Spirit. He ministers in the power of the Spirit. Where he goes is led by the Spirit. What he does is done in the power of the Spirit. And what did he teach? It says he taught in the synagogues. Well, Luke four sixteen to 21 helps us. It explains exactly what he would teach when he would come in. And he, uh, it says this, And he came to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And this, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit, this is Isaiah 61, if you're interested. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He is teaching them from the very beginning that everything he does is the Spirit on him, anointing him for mission. To proclaim the gospel, to fulfill his mission. The Spirit sends him, he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. When the Spirit comes, Jesus is now empowered for mission and ministry. He's anointed for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. The rest of the gospel is this verse played out, an expose of this verse played out. All the chapters to follow are Isaiah 61 played out. Jesus ministering in the power of the Spirit, under the anointing of the Spirit, preaching the gospel, and setting uh, people free in various ways. You cannot separate the Spirit from mission in the day of the age of the church. The Spirit comes and missions follows. Why? Because He wants Christ to be glorified. Mission leads to worship. And the way Luke is going, you'd think he mentions the Spirit at every turn because he's done it three times in just a few verses in one chapter. But having established the fact that Jesus was ministering in the power of the Spirit, and I want you to ask this question in your mind because I ask it. Did he need to? He was God? Could he have functioned in his own power, and authority as the Son of God and done all those things? It's a question I want you to think about. It's not answered in Scripture. The point is He waits, and only when the Spirit comes, He acts on all of this. It's an interesting thought. Would He have been able to do it on His own? He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, as Matt shared in his sermon, the one who sets the standards and fulfills them. He wants to set the example for us in how we are to live. Having established the fact that Jesus was ministering in the power of the Spirit, Luke doesn't mention Jesus and uh, being filled with the Spirit or uh, uh, functioning in the power of the Spirit again until uh, Luke chapter 10, six chapters later. And let's see what's going on. In Luke chapter 10 verse 21 Jesus says, in that same hour, sorry, Luke's writing, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. The context of Jesus suddenly having a, a worshipful moment in the Holy Spirit, rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, the context is quite interesting. It is off the back of a mission trip. He has just sent out the 72. They have gone. It doesn't say that they're filled with the Spirit, by the way. I want you to look for that. We don't hear anyone else being filled with the Spirit until Acts. But they, Jesus commissions them. He says, go out two by two. And uh, preach, and then they do perform some signs and wonders. The demons uh, uh, submit to them, and they come back and they tell Jesus about the successful mission trip where they've gone and preached the gospel, and even the demons have submitted to them. And it's off the back of that that in the Holy Spirit Jesus rejoices. Why is he rejoicing in the Spirit? The disciples have just returned from a mission trip, and I kid you not. For Luke, the Spirit and missions are a love-struck couple. You cannot keep them apart. Seventy-two babes go out with faith and preach the gospel. They come back, give testimony, and the Holy Spirit rejoices as Christ's name is magnified through their actions. Now, the Spirit is mentioned at times in Luke when uh, missions isn't involved. It does happen. There's times where... Uh, um, Jesus is teaching them how to pray, and he says, ask for more of the Holy Spirit. And there's other times where he says, this could be missions related. Um, You are going to stand before kings and queens and governors, and in that moment, the Spirit will come and give you the words that you have to say. I'm not saying that the Spirit only empowers for missions. Um, I am saying that someone filled with the Spirit, Spirit is often empowered for missions or acts of service. And a spirit filled person is compelled by the spirit to do the thing that the spirit wants them to do. And often that's related to evangelism and missions because he wants Christ to be glorified. But this is not exclusive. There is many different ways the spirit can fill us and lead us. I mentioned it before. You go help that person, you go forgive that person. There's Lots of examples Joey gave us last week about walking with the Spirit that might not be necessarily related to evangelism and missions, but I want to tell you, church, that as we hunger and pray, and if He comes and fills us, part of what's going to happen to you is you are going to be compelled. You are going to be compelled to speak about Jesus so that Jesus is magnified. The next time we see the Spirit and missions holding hands, is when Jesus gives the Great Commission. And I want to read you, you know the famous one, but I'm going to help you see the Spirit there because He's, not, uh, he's mentioned, but uh, you might miss the way He works. And then I want to actually take you to Luke's Great Commission, which is an overlooked Great Commission. Um, and there's something different about Luke's that I think is significant for this morning. So um, let's start with the one we all know well, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Mission. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So he's mentioned by name there. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here's the key line for me. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In what way is Jesus with us always to the end of the age? He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, okay? He's praying for us. He's mediating for us. He's definitely um, uh, thinking of us all the time. But when he says, I am with you always, that is surely the Spirit of Jesus. That is, the Holy Spirit's one of his names. The Spirit of Jesus living inside of the believer always. Missions. The Spirit is with you always. When you go to Lesotho uh, next month, we've got about 16 men coming to Lesotho. Men, when you go to Lesotho next month... We can feel a little bit insecure, and I do too, in our own abilities, and that's fine. That causes us to depend on Christ, and we pray, and you can have confidence in this. As you go and speak, the Spirit is with you. He has promised that. As you do mission, and it doesn't have to be in a Lesotho trip, it can be in your workplace. As you go, Jesus is saying, He is with you always, and it's the Spirit's job to magnify Christ in people's hearts. You can't do that. That's what Greg said. We speak, and people hear, and then the Spirit takes it to the heart, and He will, and not every heart is going to surrender, but the Spirit will take the gospel into the hearts of people because that's His job. The gospel must be preached until Jesus returns. We never get to the end of that job. When we get to the end of that job, Jesus is coming back. He hasn't come back yet. That job still exists. By the way, this is a mirror image of the Isaiah 61 verse I read earlier. Jesus' own commissioning, his own waiting and the Spirit coming upon him and go, preach the gospel. Now Jesus is commissioning the church and saying, in the same way that the Spirit was with me and helped me, the Spirit is with you and will help you. Praise the Lord that we are not on our own. What about Luke? The, the Forgotten Commission. Luke 24, 45 to 49. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. There is not a delivery of the call to do missions without the support of the promise that the Spirit is coming to help. But what's interesting, I said there's something different in these two commissions. Matthew's imperative is go. That's his imperative. Go into all the world. That's the command. Luke's imperative is the opposite. Did you see that? It's stay. He doesn't say go anywhere. In fact, he says stay. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from God. On high, just as Jesus waited for the Spirit to come before beginning his mission, so the disciples must wait until they are clothed with power from on high, and then the gospel must be proclaimed in all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. Luke's commission is often overlooked, but it might sound familiar to you because it 's quite similar to the popular verse in Acts one verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit comes and missions follows. The Spirit-filled church will be passionate about the mission of making Jesus great in all the earth. This was the last thing Jesus said before He ascended into heaven. The last thing He said before He went up to heaven. The last thing He said to us, you should remember the last thing someone important in your life says to you, is the Holy Spirit's going to come, and when He comes, He will uh, empower you to be witnesses in all nations. That's what Jesus says. And then He goes up into the sky, and they're standing there amazed at what they've seen, and an angel's next to them, and the angel says, the same way you saw Him go up, you're going to see Him come back. And that's important because we have a starting point and an ending point of an age. The starting point is the ascension. The ending point is the return. And everything that happens in between those two bookmarks, bookends, is Acts 1 verse 8. A church set on fire by the Holy Spirit for the preaching of the gospel to all nations so that everyone who is meant to come home and believe will be saved. And then he returns. This is where we are. This is what we're living in. 2,000 years later, we have no idea how much longer it's got to go. It could be one day. It could be another 2,000 years. But the point being is we are right smack bang in this age where Jesus has given us a command and he will come back. And the thing we do in between is Acts 1 verse 8. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I want to move on to the Spirit and the church, early church in mission. They didn't have to wait long. When Jesus said wait, they didn't sit around waiting for long. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes. And with Jesus, He comes like a dove But I'm so glad Joey last week when he spoke about the Spirit, he said he's not this um, sensitive. uh, He is sensitive, but he's not like this person that we've got to be so worried about in the corner. He's omnipotent, all-powerful as well. He can take care of himself. And he sometimes comes in a completely different way. He comes in Acts chapter 2 to the church, Jesus like a dove. To the church he comes like a rushing wind, tongues of fire, and the building shakes. That's how he comes. And I was speaking to someone this last week, and he was telling me about a prayer meeting he was in um, uh, in the 80s. And he said they were praying. They were praying a long time, worshiping as they prayed, praying. And a bomb went off right outside the, the wall. And it shook the building, and parts of the wall started flying off during the middle of the prayer meeting. And he, they got this on video, and the, the guitar player is strumming. The Lord is moving. Acts chapter 2 is happening all over again. We're praying, and here he's filled this place. Bomb went off on the outside. Whether it's there's a a shaking uh, that we get to experience, I think that's pretty rare, although I would like to believe it hasn't happened just the one time. But the point being is that the Spirit comes. It's a promise, and so it happens. It comes. And listen to this. I love this. Acts chapter 2 verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about even this morning. Think about there's probably 130 of us in here, and you know your own story. You know how you came here. You know how ready you were to receive from God when you came here. What are the chances of all 130 of us being in a place where we can receive the Holy Spirit if He wants to do something and our hearts all being ready and warmed and surrendered to that. I would say fairly low. I'm hoping that as I preach that the Spirit comes and helps and He touches your hearts and, and I can draw some of you into a readiness to give your life to Him and respond to Him. But the reality is a lot of us have been through a lot and there's a whole bunch of things going on in your minds right now. And it would have been the same on this morning for the 150 people that had gathered together there. And it didn't matter who had kicked the dog or who had sinned in whatever way. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The promise had come. How long before mission happens? Not long at all. It's the same meeting, and Peter preaches the gospel. 3,000 souls repent. They start worshiping Jesus. They start meeting regularly to uh, pray and to listen to the teaching of the apostles, and the church is born. The Spirit comes, missions follows. By Acts chapter 4, they had already started turning the world upside down. And I want to say to you, guys, we are not here just to uh, uh, jump and dance to the beat that the world's uh, sending out and play along and keep everyone happy. When I went to Amman for missions, they kicked me out because they said, you've come here to cause trouble. And they were right. They were right. Well done. I did not come to just sit and play by numbers and collect a paycheck and go to church on the Sunday and live my own Christian life. I came to turn the world upside down. And the church on fire by the Spirit had already started doing that by Acts chapter 4. The church had now grown to 5,000 men. Acts chapter 2, you can follow this growth. It's amazing. Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls. So lots of men, women, and children saved 3,000 church members. And by Acts chapter 4, it says 5,000 men. So we have no idea how many other thousands are added into that number. But there is exponential growth happening in the church quickly. And now they started turning the world upside down. The church has grown to 5,000 men. John and Peter are arrested and told to no longer preach the gospel by the ruling authorities, this is the first time the church is under persecution and she is young. How will she react to this pressure? We know what pressure feels like. We feel it. We go, Mark, we're not going to get thrown in prison. We're not going to get thrown in prison yet. But you and I all feel the postmodern pressure of keep your faith to yourself. We feel it very strongly. Don't offend other people. Don't uh, try and convince them to believe what, what you believe. You know what it feels like to have a persecution pressure on you to keep the truth inside. They are getting it now for the first time. How are they going to react? Acts 4 verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So it happens more than once to the same group of people and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That was their response. They were afraid. You don't pray for boldness unless you're afraid. If you're already bold, there's no, it's redundant to ask for boldness if you're bold. So when you're praying for boldness, you are saying, we are afraid, we are scared of the leaders of our movement being thrown into prison, right now being in prison, and we are under pressure, we're afraid, but we know what you said, you said that we must go into uh, 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 throughout Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and be your witnesses, and so we need to continue to speak about you. Where did the church ever get the idea when they read Acts that it was okay to just live the life? Everywhere you hear these guys talk about missions, they're not talking about we need to live good lives. They're saying we need to speak about Jesus. We need to speak boldly about what He's done for us. When Jesus says you are witnesses, a witness is useless if if they won't speak. If you call a witness onto a stand in a trial and they won't speak, they are useless. So when you are a witness, there is a verbal element to this. I'm not saying don't live the life. Of course you must. And we are hypocrites often, and that hinders us, okay? But nowhere was there ever a command given that the verbal gets taken out. The church prays for boldness. We are afraid, Lord. They pray for boldness. And they pray that they will continue to speak. And that is obedience. And when you're being obedient, what does the Spirit do? He comes. Powerfully. And they are emboldened and obedient and able to continue preaching. The Spirit comes and missions follows. Acts chapter 5 gives a rather comical account of the ruler's efforts to slow the church down. I'm not going to show you the whole text, but uh, I laughed as I was preparing the sermon. So... The church continues to preach, the, the leaders get angry, and they take not just Peter and John now, they take all of the apostles, so the, the, all 12 of them, throw them in prison. So now all of your leaders are in prison. That very night, an angel comes and releases them from the prison. But this isn't Shawshank Redemption where there's a hole in the wall. Somehow the gates stay locked and they're released, Okay. So the next morning, the leaders, and then the angel says to them, sorry, the angel says to them, right, I've released you, go straight back to uh, the town and preach. Do it now. This is in the middle of the night where they get released, at daybreak when people will start coming in, at dawn, they are in the temple, the most public area they could possibly be in. If you want to go home and be with Jesus early, go to a mosque and start preaching in the mosque uh, the gospel of Christ. You will probably see Jesus quite soon. Um, they are, they've been thrown in prison that night. They come out, and the very next morning, they go into the main public area and preach because that's what the angel told them to do. The guards and the authorities have just woken up. They've barely scratched the sleep out of their eyes. They are now, they don't know that the apostles are preaching out in the temple. They go to the prison to find them, and it says they stand there perplexed because God could have just left the prison doors open and then you could have thought lots of things, but he wanted them to, he, I can almost feel him having a little poke at them. He wants them to stand there all confused, looking at this locked cell and everyone out. And there's no poster on the wall with the hole in, in the wall that they've gotten out. How the heck did everyone get out of these cells? And where are they? And while they are standing there looking perplexed, someone comes and says, those guys you just threw into the cells yesterday, they're standing in the temple preaching Christ right now the audacity some of you as parents can relate to this you know kids when you discipline them you think you've disciplined them hard and they will do the very thing you've just disciplined in front of your face they won't even hide they won't even do it like like behind your back the the lack of respect sometimes is incredible and that's what's happening here you threw us in prison it isn't even daybreak and we are carrying on doing the very thing you threw us in prison for now i'll catch them up We'll catch up with him. Acts chapter 5, 27 to 32. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet, here you have, and I want you to listen to this, because this is our church, this is our motto, this is our vision, our mission. I think it comes from here. Matt can correct me if I'm wrong. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. You need to listen to this, church. We must obey God rather than men. When a postmodern society says, keep your faith to yourself, you don't listen to them. You look at Scripture and you obey God. If God says, speak about me, you do that. If a postmodern society says, don't offend people, that's not a very loving thing to do, you... You don't listen to men, you listen to God. If God says, speak about me, and that's offensive, then you do that. Jesus himself said, I am a rock of stumbling. There are people who stumble over me and are offended, and the one who is crushed by me, that's us, uh, is never put to shame. He is an offensive person. It is an offensive message. If you preach the gospel in a Muslim country and everyone goes, oh, yeah, we're happy with that, you've done something wrong. If you preach the gospel to a postmodern society here in East London, South Africa, and everyone's happy to listen and move on, you're doing something wrong. If people are putting pressure on you saying, we're not so sure you should be talking about Jesus in that way, I want to say to you, I think you might be doing something right. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. I read that already. God exalted him as right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. Oh. That we would be scolded in our day for filling the city of East London with the teachings of Jesus Christ. That we would not bow to the pressures of postmodernism and a society that tells us to keep our faith to, to ourselves. I want you to look at that last line again. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. If you want the Spirit in a greater way, you must live yielded and obey. And what kind of obedience are they speaking about in this context? Are they talking about forgiving the person across the room? Are they talking about tithing? Are they talking. No. They are talking about we are obeying Christ who told us to speak. And we must obey him. And the Holy Spirit comes and helps them as they do that. The context is sharing your faith. By Acts chapter 5, verse 1, the taking of the gospel to Jerusalem is complete. They have filled the city with the gospel in Jerusalem. Done. Acts chapter 5. And it's not long afterwards, the persecution doesn't go away, and the persecution helps them. It scatters them. They end up in Jerusalem and Judea, and the church there grows in those areas. Okay? Um, Let's look at that verse Matt shared earlier. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. There was a period of persecution that scattered them. And once they were scattered and they'd taken the gospel with them and they were faithful, they weren't hiding, they didn't go, oh, we, we got smashed up back there, so let's be quiet now. They kept sharing their faith and the Spirit was with them and helped them. And then a period of peace came. And the church could rest. And, but did it sleep? No. It says it multiplied. It multiplied. Walking in the fear of the Lord, that's obedience to Him, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We've left Jerusalem now. The church is in Judea and Samaria. God has given her rest from the persecution, but the mission moves forward. She multiplies, and the Spirit is there to help her as she does so. That's phase two. Phase one and phase two are quite easy to finish because the geographical area is small. Jerusalem is one city. Judea and Samaria is uh, one uh, smallish country. We get to Acts chapter 13, and the Holy Spirit sets Paul and Barnabas apart to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Again, the Holy Spirit's there when missions gets commissioned. Acts 13 verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And phase three begins, and it hasn't finished. It continues to this day. The rest of the book of Acts is the fulfillment of phase three in that time, in the known world, in that stage but it has continued for the next 2,000 years. And many people have commented, if you read the book of Acts, you get to the last page, it, it seems like a strange ending. It seems unfinished. It seems like Luke didn't get to finish his book. And in a way, whatever his reasoning was, I think it's poignant that it ends that way because the point is Acts isn't finished yet. Acts is the mission of the church to take the gospel of Christ into the whole world. And it continues to this day. We are sitting on the tip of Africa, worshiping Jesus this morning, hundreds of us. It's a fulfillment of the faithfulness of the church over the last 2,000 years. But it hasn't stopped, church. This gospel that must be preached This mission that must continue has not stopped. And I want to say I have great confidence in the church, and I'm talking about the church at large, even though she's got lots of problems. I have great confidence in the church to continue, even in our day and age, until Jesus comes back, fulfilling the mission that she's been doing for the last 2,000 years. Why do I have that confidence in her? Is it because of the people? No. It's because I know that the Spirit is faithful and is with her. He's with us. He will continue to motivate and compel us for mission and use us. And even if these doors close, God forbid they ever do, but if these doors close, the church has lost nothing. The church of Christ will march on. It will live on. She will not be defeated in her mission to make Christ great in all the earth. I can have confidence in 2022 that as you and I preach and teach, the Spirit will help and people are going to get saved and the gospel is going to continue to move forward. It is not in doubt. It is not a question. So let's get to us in my final three minutes. This is where the tacky hits the top. I did a little analysis of our church. And before you think, oh, man, he's going like, to make us feel really guilty right now. Um, I want to encourage you. I think there's a lot of wonderful things happening here. I thought about our prayer life. Now, in that, none of these am I saying we've arrived. We've got to grow. But let's, sometimes it's helpful to look at where we've grown. We are an increasingly praying church. What do you mean, Mark? Well, we, prayer is part of every meeting. Every meeting, it never used to be that way, but it's in the meeting now we pray. We did it this morning. We pray before the meetings. We've done that for for a long time. Um, Then we have a prayer team that pray faithfully every week. And if you're interested in that, speak to me and we can put you on there. They pray faithfully every week for various things that we send out. We have a ladies' ministry that is thriving off the back of faithful prayer. They meet every Thursday between 4.30 and 5.30 or 6.00. And that prayer meeting started in October last year. It's continuing to this day. Uh, Maybe it's going to end sometime. I don't know. It'll be lovely if we keep going for the next 50 years and they talk about this group of faithful ladies that started praying for the ladies' ministry at SBC in 2021, October. Who knows what God's going to do with it? But did you know that, ladies, that enjoy the ministry on a Saturday once a month, there's a group of faithful ladies praying for you every week? It challenges me. We've got a Saturday prayer meeting, two hours. I went there two weeks ago. It was invigorating. I've sometimes been in prayer meetings that lasted five minutes that weren't invigorating, so I think we can all relate to stuff like that. But I've been in a prayer meeting at our church recently that lasted two hours that invigorated me. That's been happening for the last six uh, or so weeks. When I consider prayer in our church, this is besides the prayer that's happening in small group meetings and personal prayer. I see us as an increasingly praying church and that encourages me. With regards to God's Word, I think uh, we're doing well. We preach the Word. We preach the Gospel. I check. Uh, I'm listening for the Gospel almost every time we preach. And if it doesn't happen, it is so rare. And may the criticism continue if it exists that these guys just preach the gospel. What a wonderful criticism to hear, okay? The gospel gets preached here. We preach the word, we preach the gospel. Our small groups meditate and apply what they've heard, meditate on and then they apply what they've heard. And many in this church are committed to reading plans and accountability to keep the Bible a priority in their lives. I think with a church who prioritizes God's word, And that's encouraging. Then there are other signs that are encouraging to me. Salvations in our next-gen ministries. I just mentioned three this morning, but it's happened. uh, There's been six, seven, eight, could be more. Nikki doesn't tell me all of them. Uh, We we pay specialists to do next-gen. Not many churches do that. But then where we don't make the overcorrection is we work hard at not putting the whole ministry on them like it's up to them to uh, do everything. We, we work hard at thinking about how to include our families and uh, minister the gospel to our next generation as families. We have a children's church and a youth, but we're not prepared to just keep them separate. We work hard at being one church, which is why during worship, the worship team don't always like the, the noisy clanging out there, but... We value that because it's participation from every generation in our church service, which we are fighting for. We help the poor, the addicts, the abandoned. We have not ignored their cries. SBC is doing well. She's not perfect, but I have an overwhelming sense that God is pleased. But where does God want us to grow? And I've said for some time that I think the Spirit's coming. And people panic a little bit, but in the context of the sermon, I think He's coming in a way to do a new thing at SBC. I don't know when. I don't know what it's going to look like. People say, what is it going to look like? Are people going to fall over? No. Is everyone going to break out in tongues at the same time? No. I don't think it's going to look like anything else at another church. I think it looks like a church set on fire to preach the gospel and to speak boldly and to fill East London with the gospel and glory of Jesus Christ. When we start doing that, church, it doesn't matter much what the rest of the meetings are looking like. We, the Spirit is full. He is here. He has control. He is, Jesus is being worshipped. I think that is coming. We are all filled all filled with the spirit for the purpose of participating in the mission of making Jesus name great together so in application do you need to wait for a special outpouring before you can start Jesus waited the disciples waited do we wait and my answer is no because when you believe i'll read the scripture 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 verse 13 For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. You cannot receive Christ without uh, the Spirit being poured out into your heart. And when you surrender your life to Christ, you are baptized in the Spirit. You are saved. Okay? So you can be obedient to sharing the gospel and what's happened to you immediately. And actually, you're usually at your best if you start doing it straight away because you're still passionate about it. I went home after I got saved, and my parents got it. My, my brothers got it. My friends at school got it from me. This is something has happened to me. Okay? So if you're sitting there going, Mark, we need to wait for that thing you're talking about where that, the, the room gets filled and the building shake, and then after that, we'll go. No, you already have the Spirit. Don't wait. You have received the Spirit. The Spirit will compel you to speak about Jesus. What can you do? We must pray to be filled with the Spirit so that we can be bold in our witness. Sometimes there will be a special outpouring, and that might lead to an even greater sense of calling into to specific ministries for you. But most of the time, this is an ordinary thing that Joe spoke about last week. It's ordinary. There's no special feeling. But you have prayed to be filled with the Spirit, and, he, and He's faithful to do that. And you go and you be obedient. You don't wait to feel different. You just go and you be obedient. If you want to ask me how I felt the Spirit as I've done this, it's often after I've started. So I don't sit in a room and wait. Okay, I feel full with the Spirit. Now I'll go speak to someone. I go and I speak to someone, and then while I'm speaking to them, I'll get a sense of help. And I know the Spirit's helping me. But If you're going to sit and wait in your room, you're never going to go. So I want you, church, to go. Trust Him. Pray for a daily filling. It's ordinary, but it increases the effectiveness of our witness. Whether you feel any different or not, go and witness. Last thing, yield and obey. And the relationship between the Spirit and obedience is very interesting to me. Earlier I said if you want more of the Spirit, you you need to be obedient. So the Spirit can't say, go and forgive that person, and you go, no. And then you've stepped out of walking with Him, but now you want more. You've got to be obedient to the prompts, right? But we can't be obedient without the Spirit's help. We need the Spirit to help us obey. So it's, it's a fascinating relationship. And the best way I can understand it is that I'm going to pray for the Spirit's help, and then He comes and helps me to obey in this key area of sharing my faith. And I've got to be obedient in other areas for those prayers to be answered. But we need the Spirit's help. The reason why the early church was so effective was they were full of the Spirit. And they went. And they could be obedient. We need him, church. What is your heart's response to him this morning? This is why we're teaching on him. We want to understand our need for him. We want to grow in our desire for him. We want to pray that he would come and fill us. And that we would be obedient and witness so that the city of East London is filled with the gospel and glory of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Church, it's important to respond to the Lord if He's speaking to you. And if you feel stirred for this, for being more effective as a witness, if there's something in your heart wanting to be obedient to this, and that's already the Spirit at work in you. And I'm going to ask you to open up your hands in an act of surrender, visualizing yielding So your hands can't be on the wheel if they're open. And say to the Lord in your heart, I'm yielding to you. I want you to have control. I need your help to be obedient. I want you to fill me with your spirit. I believe you still care about glorifying Christ and the lost being saved. And I'm here and you can use me. Help me be a witness to you. Lord, as you see hearts, we just see the outside. I pray, would you come now by your spirit and fill every heart that is uh, surrendering to you every uh, person that is uh, seeking to be obedient in this area and Lord we are praying for a great boldness to do what the early church did not just to live our lives well but to speak uh, boldly about Jesus we know there's people around us Lord who don't know yet Lord help us overcome the pressure of our society the fear of our times and help us be faithful to your word and thank you, Lord, that you have sent your spirit to be with us. And it's his job to take what we say and move it into people's hearts and save them. Let the name of Jesus Christ be glorified in East London. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. I've gone over to